Welcome to On The Verge. This podcast will highlight interviews from entrepreneurs, musicians, and professional golfers. It will center around what tools they have used to help them reach their dreams, how they use golf to further their career, whether it be for escape from the rigors of their profession or to build more business, and how the communitas of wine, music, and golf enrich their lives. This is all about the enjoyment of life, rising above the struggles, and stretching past the best to be better every day. On The Verge. On The Verge is presented by Cure, cannabis used for research and education. The medical industry is steadfastly looking to help millions of patients that suffer from injuries related to repetitive motion, sports, trauma, and many other orthopedic injuries, as well as skin disorders, mental disorders, cancer, and osteoporosis, to name only a few of the other underlying conditions that billions suffer from each day. On average in this country, we have 10,000 people turning 65 every day. With the cost of pharmaceutical medicines increasing, patients deserve natural alternatives that are not only more cost-effective, but also safer for them and society. Cure is focused on providing natural alternatives to aid with current or previous medical conditions. Cure does this by providing a therapeutic properties of natural cannabinoid formulations for multiple uses, whether internally or externally. Ask your physical therapist or your primary care physician if cannabinoids are right for you, or check out their website at www.curemich.com. Cure, cannabis used for research and education. Welcome to On The Verge. Today's show is going to be a super special one for me and for everybody out there. Uh, today I'm bringing on uh, a gentleman who's, who's put together 20 studio albums. He's in the Country Music Hall of Fame. He's won more CMA awards uh, than any male artist. He's won five male vocalist awards for the CMA. And he's batting well over 400 in the Grammy nomination to victory ratio, <laughs> going 21 for 44. Now a member of the Eagles. Vince Gill. Vince, how are you today, buddy? I'm oh, pretty good, virtually, you know. Oh man, I'm just trying to just trying to make it day by day with the uh, with the new world we're living in. But golf is really helping, wouldn't you say? Boy, it's you know I told Amy I said it's like it's like nothing really changed. <laughs> <laughs> I stay home a lot and play a lot of golf, <laughs> it's, but it's been awesome that the golf the golf courses have been uh, available, mm-hmm. you know, and and. Uh, I've been teasing my buddy Danny Briggs. I said, "Well, we don't have to worry about social distancing. I hit it far enough past you that we're not going to be very close." <laughs> Just wearing him out all the time. We love giving each other a little grief. Uh, that's no, so it's, funny. It's been a, it's been a weird stretch of life. Yeah, you know? no question about that. Something that the likes we've obviously never seen in our lifetimes, and hopefully we never do again. Yeah, no doubt. And now I met you in the parking lot here last week, and you said that the next time you're scheduled to do a show is. When September of 2021. Wow! I got uh, a gig this summer at the at the at the Ryman, but mm, I don't think it'll happen. Yeah, and, and uh, do you do you sense that your your ongoing Christmas shows will also be uh, kind of waffling as well? Well, they could be. You know, I, I mean, that's the funny thing about all this is nobody really Knows. can can give you a definitive answer, mm-hmm. and it, it spikes and it comes down, it spikes, it comes down, and you know, if we if we if we err on the side of of being tired of being shut in, then we're going to pay for that, you know. So yeah. we got to be careful, and we know more. We we know a lot more now than we did in February, and yeah. and we'll know more in a couple months. And we'll I just respond. Yeah, that's right. That's all we can do. <laughs> One of the things I wanted to talk about 
obviously with the music piece as a given, but I don't know how many people recognize how, how giving and great you have been to Tennessee's Junior Golf, the Golf Foundation, and your love of the game. Talk to us about all the, the great things you've done with the Vinny and the Golf Foundation and Junior Golf and where that comes from in your heart. Well, I think it just comes from um, what I received. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that that, uh, that kindness breeds kindness, you know. And, and uh, when I was a kid, um, you know, these days it's, it's hard on a kid because they're usually not welcome mm-hmm. at a golf course. There's not enough space. There's not enough time. There's never, you know, so many people play the game. But when I was a kid, they were really supportive of kids playing. They had a junior golf program in Oklahoma City where I grew up, and uh, we were playing nine-hole matches um, in third grade. Oh, wow. And if you shot the lowest score, you know, the the lowest three or four scores got their name in the paper. And uh, so that was always always my life, you know, and and it gave me somewhere to go. It gave me somewhere to be. My mom said it was the best babysitter she ever had, you know, Mm -hmm. said I could dump you out at the golf course. Son came up, give you a couple dollars for a hamburger, and pick you up at dark. And uh, a lot of truth to that. And um, if you were a junior golfer, you could play any municipal course. And there were a bunch in Oklahoma City. Yeah, a lot of thirty-six hole facilities, and and our greens fees were fifty cents. Oh wow! And it was just like, what a great opportunity! And I lived on the golf course. You know, my first job was picking a range at a little golf course out in Piedmont, Oklahoma, and. And working on carts, doing that kind of stuff. So it was ingrained in me mm-hmm. what I was given by the game, you know, and how much I loved it. And so I would I would occasionally get invited to play in, in quasi-quasi, you know, kind of tournaments that were celebrity-driven and things like that. And I, of all people, Glenn Fry, who mm-hmm. I wind up replacing in the Eagles, yeah. uh, was the inspiration for the Vinny in mm-hmm. that he did a tournament with uh, – uh, a few of his buddies, tour player named Mark Lye, I think, was yeah. one of them. And, and they did a tournament together down in Florida, and he called and said, will you come down? And it was probably in the 80s sometimes. He'd come down and play with us and sing some songs. And I said, yeah. And uh, I saw how much fun this tournament was. It was unlike any other tournament I'd mm-hmm. ever been to in that they you know, they had a concert and invited the people to come for free, and 15,000, 20,000 people came to hear the music. And oh, wow. I said, now this is, you know, this is different than a stuffy ballroom kind of you know, corporate-y-minded, mm-hmm. you know, stiff-shirt kind of a thing. This would be something I would enjoy doing someday. Yeah. And if I ever had enough success to pull it off, and I did. And so for 27 years, we, you know, we had fun. You know, yeah. the, the point of it was to have fun and... It wasn't me trying to get the biggest celebrities in the world. It was me trying to get my friends. Yeah. And some of them were. And the same with the tour players. You know, some of the tour players that came over the years were people you never heard much of and, and, and people that were household names. Yeah. And, but it was all, it was kind of all centered around, I wanted it to be um, because of a relationship that we, we would have had. Mm-hmm. And so everybody that came to the Vinny was a friend. Yeah. And that made a big difference in why it it got to have the loyalty it had and got to live as long as it did. It has to feel great to have given back to kids as much as you have. But in many, many ways, you're not only your golf, but your music gives back to people just because they're around it. And I remember you had, uh, you've played with, I think, four of my students <laughs> when you at the junior part yeah. of the 
of the Vinny. And I remember you, you uh, invited Sarah Garmazy up to play with you. She plays guitar. And that was, a, that was the first time I ever attended the Vinny um, as, as to, to watch the, the concert piece because she was such a valuable you know, person in my life at that particular point, too. And to know how much it meant to her when she walked off, she still talks about it all the time. It's, uh, that's, that's powerful. And because like, me, I impact kids' lives, you know, generally one at a time. And now right. I got a team at Ensworth, but still it's like 14. But, and I feel my cup gets full watching that. I can't imagine the, the coolness of thousands of people being able to feel the same. Yeah, it's it's beautiful to give, you know, and and part of the uh, part of the, to me the 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 charm of the Vinny and the reason behind it is once we started including the juniors in the tournament, I said, man, we're we're out here playing golf. Let's include the kids that are benefiting mm-hmm. from this and show the people where this hard work is going and see some of these kids play and see how good they hit it and and all that. But what was beautiful about it, it is the Vinny went everywhere. You know, it didn't go to just the, you know, the country club kids, you mm-hmm. know, and the kids that could afford to play the game. It went into the inner cities. The fact that the Vinnie Lynx is over there in East Nashville where it is, I'm prouder of where it is than yeah. what it is. Yeah, you know? for sure. And I think that with young people oftentimes that struggle and, and really have a hard time in life is because they never they never were given – a chance to make a good decision. There were no good decisions for them to make. Mm-hmm. And if you, I, I just believe in kids so much that if you give them, if you give them that one good choice, man, I think they'll take it most every time. Yeah, that is if so If there's true. a good one, so that's kind of where it where it came from more than anything. And and I, you know, our goal was was never to turn out the next Mister Nicholas or the next Mister Palmer, but our 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 goal was to turn out a pretty good kid. Yeah, you know. And I think that uh, everybody knows this game and 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 how you know it can impact someone and how they mm-hmm. they live their life. Yeah, no doubt. Well, the first time I really ever heard your name was watching a PGA Tour event, the Bob Hope Chrysler Classic, <laughs> and uh, I cannot remember who was announcing. It may have been Peter Jacobson on the golf course. But I almost think it was Peter Jacobson. But he's like, I think that there's a chance that Vince is actually beating all the pros in his group at this particular <laughs> point. And my mom has always loved you. And I was like, Mom, isn't this the gentleman that you you? Oh yeah, he's playing golf. I said, Yeah, he's he's playing with a guy named Bob Walcott. No, I don't, uh. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know Bob Walcott. But and of course, I ended up teaching Bob Walcott. It's a very small world, but yeah. golf. Obviously, golf has played a huge role in your life. Who introduced you to it, and where? At what point in your career, in your golf life, did you start to recognize, "Hey, I could be good at this game"? Well, I think early on, you know, I was a I was a really good athlete. You know, I was a good little baseball player, threw some no hitters, and mm-hmm. could shoot hoops. And, and I was too small to play football, um, but if if it was sports, I was generally pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. You know, and and um, so. Like I said, we started playing. I started knocking around with golf probably when first grade or something, with watching my old man go out there on the weekends and shoot 120 and come home mad, and take it out on me. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it was a sport. Yeah. You know, so I was the, I was that kind of kid. I was drawn to sports, and this was a game that I just dearly loved. And and you know, I, I played pretty good early on. You know, mm-hmm. could shoot 39 or 40 on nine holes and. And uh, I played in high school. I don't remember ever beating anybody, but I played my school matches for four years and mm. just had a blast doing it. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't think 
I probably got a lot better at the game as as life went on. But, um, you know, I have so many memories of of getting to play around a golf. You know, and and I think what was interesting to me about the game of golf is what a uh, kind of centerpiece it could be for all walks of life to find common ground. Mm -hmm. And I found so so many golfers that wanted to be musicians. And vice versa. I tease all the time after we played 18 holes. I said, well, now you know why I'm a good guitar player, because I can't putt. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I just, you know, was, was drawn to it. I was drawn to the people around it, you know. And and funny funny thing is, is most of the people that I met, even in, in the music world, were th- more through golf. Really? Sometimes than through music. Hmm. And like I said, just... Made for great common ground, and and um, I didn't take any lessons till I was probably seventh or eighth grade, something like that. And a fellow named Jerry Dixon out at Surrey Hills Country Club. It was uh, it was pasture pool at its finest out in the country, <laughs> out in the country, pool. man. It was a, they called it a country club, but that was a big stretch, I guarantee. <laughs> and he he's the one that got me to start overlapping, and you know, and and uh, got me going. And before that, I was an interlocker, and um, and I just, you know, it was always, it was, I think it was, this game has been a great saving grace, savior for me in that it kept me out of a lot of trouble. Yeah. A lot of kids can find trouble n- not too far away if they, if they go <laughs> looking, you know. And yeah. Not too much trouble you can get in out here, you know, on this golf course. And, no doubt. And so when I took off and started playing music and would be stuck in a hotel room for a day, I said, oh, I'd go play golf. You know, and for years I... Traded green fees for concert tickets, you know, mm-hmm. trying to play yeah. all these great places, and mm-hmm. um, it's been as it's been as big a part of my life as as music. That's amazing. So you've had the opportunity to play with the who's who list of the greatest golfers in the world. Let's start with whom half the people think is the greatest golfer of all time, Jack Nicklaus. You ever play with Jack? Yeah. What was what's that? What's it like to play with Jack Nicklaus? It's 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 easily the most intimidating thing I've ever experienced. Really? Yeah. And it was funny because um, well, I think the first year I played in AT and T, you know, I'm a scratch player, hit it pretty good, and not not going to struggle too much. But it was the first time I'd played in that event, and I'm getting ready to tee off, and the group behind me, guess who's in it? Nicholas. <laughs> <laughs> so I go, oh my god, oh my god, you know, I teed it up, and Cole topped it on the first tee, <laughs> and topped one since fourth grade. You know, and it was so funny. And then uh, we got to be friends um, through the guy that works with him named Scott Tolley. And Scott and I have stayed really close, and Jack and I have stayed really close. And uh, But the the first time we got a chance to play together was the opening of one of the Bear Trace courses down in, is it Clifton? Oh, yeah. Right near Savannah mm-hmm. in, in the south central part of Tennessee. And he called and said, hey, would you join me for, for the inaugural round? I said, yes, sir. You know, so I was all excited to go out there and get to play with the mighty, mighty Jack, you know, and, and I was scared, you know, mm-hmm. so I'm getting ready. To, we're getting ready to go tee off and practice and all that stuff. We do a press conference mm-hmm. and he holds his press conference and there's several hundred people in there and, and I don't, you know, they don't ask me one question, which is fine. But, uh, then he looks at me and said, well, let's go loosen up a little bit and get ready. I said, okay. All right, sir. And so... We're heading for the practice tee, and uh, there's a bunch of gallery guys. This guy in the gallery pops off to me, says something smart-ass, you know, and, mm-hmm. and uh, 
So I said, yeah, I'm not surprised. So you saying that some you you know you old bastard or something like an old bastard like you or I don't know what I said. And Jack whipped around, and looked at me, and he goes, "What'd you call me?" I said, "Excuse me." <laughs> and I said, "I said I, did I hear?" It? And I said, "I wasn't talking to you. I swear to God." So I heard that. Said, That's the way it's going to be, huh? So I'm like, "Oh my God!" He thinks I got the needle out. So we practice up. And we go to the first tee, and and he wants to hit. Uh, was to hit some persimmon drivers for old time's sake, you know. So I hadn't hit one of those in 10 years. and Managed to scrape a nice little draw out there and hit it pretty good. And we played three or four holes, and I was I was holding. I was just barely holding on, you know, scraped mm. around three or four pars. And we get to this par, par three, and I hit this shot just right of the green. I'm only about, I think, maybe five, six, seven steps off the edge. And, and I'm not real big fan of putting through zoysia, mm-hmm. you know, because it'll kind of eat a ball up because yeah. of how big the blades of grass are. And so I get my wedge out, and he goes, "What are you doing?" I said, um, "Excuse me." He goes, <laughs> "Goes, what are you doing?" I said, "Well, I was, I was going to try to chip this ball into that hill and let it kill the speed. It's just a little side hill, little run down the hill." Kind of a shot, and he goes, "Well, go ahead," you know, and folds his arms like this. And of course, I am not going to be able to hit this shot now. So I hit it a little hard, and I missed hitting it into the hill and hits the top of the hill and rolls ten feet by. He said, "Vince, you should always putt those. You know, you should always putt those. Those ones really close to the green." And Arnold Palmer always told me you should putt those. He said, "Your best, your best chip is never probably going to be as good as your as your worst putt." And I said, "Well, okay, now drop another ball, try it again." You know, so I take my putter out and hit it up there few inches away see you should always putt those you know and I was okay thank you Jack you know and, and we're walking off the green and Rick Bird's caddying for me my sweetest friend and and he leans over and he goes I still like your shot better <laughs> <laughs> so so we go and we play this day and we're having a great round and I'm playing really good and not struggling and he's playing good and this has been 20 years ago probably I don't yeah. know when they put those courses up 20 probably. 25 years ago mm-hmm. right that's right and so we get to eight, we get to eighteen, and uh, it's a ha- kind of a hard par four, and and uh, I hit my second shot in the bunker, greenside bunker, and uh, he hits his short of the green. He's got a putt that's got to be one hundred and twenty feet easy, you know, maybe more, mm-hmm. and it's forever. This putt looks like it's gonna, you know, whatever. And he it's looks, in Dixon from here. Yeah, it, exactly. <laughs> so he looks at me, and he just starts looking at me, and he reaches in his bag, and pulls out his putter. Kind of does that, you know, shows the putter to me. Hits his 105,000-foot putt up there just an inch from the hole, taps it in. And I hit my bunker shot up there about three feet, you know, three or four feet. And and I'm one over par, and he's one under par. You know, so I've given him a nice, mm-hmm. fun day. And, yeah. and uh, so I've got this three or four-footer in front of several hundred people. I went over, and I put my arm around Jack, and I said, hey, Jack. He said, yeah, yeah, what? I said, uh, <laughs> you know – this might have been the greatest day of golf in my whole life that I've experienced getting to play golf with you. It's a dream come true. And and we've played and had a lot of fun. And, and uh, I said, I've got this three or four footer here. And um, if I miss this putt, I'm going to drive home so pissed off that I won't be able to see for 100 miles, you know. And, <laughs> and uh, I said, do you remember, you remember back when you, you gave that putt to Tony Jacklin in the, in the uh, Ryder Cup? And he goes, what are you talking about? I said, man. Is there any way you could see to just give me that putt? He says, "Pick it up, pick it up." <laughs> <laughs> that's so good. It was so much fun, and it's you know that's built a 
a friendship that lasts today. We check in on each other every now and then. And he came and played in the Vinny one year, mm-hmm. and it was really special that he came. And and uh, I just adore that man. You know, I really do. He asked me to come and sing for him uh, when he got his Congressional Medal of Honor. And I could I had to I had to bail at the last minute and wound up in the hospital with something going on. I couldn't fly and called him. And said, man, I can't. I'm so sorry. I can't come. I know I sang for Ernie, and I know how competitive you guys are. <laughs> and uh, I just really do care yeah. a lot about that guy. He's class, class yeah. act. He is a class act for sure. Another class act, and you know, as much as Jack Nicholas might be the greatest player in the game, Arnold Palmer might be the most important player the game's ever had. Talk to us about some memories you have of Arnold Palmer. Well, I, I, I think he was. I would say. Easily, he's the most beloved man I've ever seen by people. Wow. Not more than any politician, more than any actor, more than any other sports hero. <clears throat> Hands down, across the board, nobody had that kind of charisma and that kind of connection with people like, like Arnold Palmer did. And and we got to play a bunch together really? over the years, you know. And my favorite memory was um, we were playing – some, I think in Oklahoma City, a pro-am in Oklahoma City. It's been 30, 35 years ago. And and we're both playing, and we're at, we get to the 18th, and we both had a good day. And we never said one word about what each other's shooting. It was mm-hmm. just a team event, and you low score, blah, 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 on each hole, and away you went. And, and we get to 18, we both hit it up there 10 or 15 feet, and I'm four under par, and he's four under par. And so I'm so excited that I've kind of hung with the king, you yeah. know. And we've never said a word to each other about the day, you know. And so I got my 15-footer, and I get up there and just miss it, you know. And he gets up, looks at me, and gets down over the ball, makes it. And then he looks at me and goes, gotcha. (laughs) (laughs) He knew exactly what was going on. It was so much fun. It was my favorite beating, my favorite whooping I've ever taken was from him. And we, we spent so much. We got to spend a lot of time together, you know. We... Um, we played together at Bay Hill one year, and and he had he's you know 18th hole, and he's got a million people up there cheering him on, and he's 20, 30 yards short of the green and two, and he's got this little chip shot, and he chunks it, you know, and he's it is fortunate that it catches the collar of the green, it doesn't bounce, but it just takes off, you know, and it just and it rolls 30, 40 feet, you know, and it should have just hit and gone. <laughs> Like that, you know, and it rolled all the way up to the hole, just a couple inches from going in, and the crowd's going nuts, nuts. And he puts his arm around me, and we're walking up there, and he says, you tell anybody I chunked that, and I'll kick your ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. He had such a way with it. He had a, he's, the one of the, he's definitely one of the most magnet, magnetic humans that I've ever been around. Oh, yeah. It's like when he shakes your hand, he looks right into your soul. It's mm-hmm. a very unique gift that he had yep. when it comes to meeting everybody. Yep. He, the ultimate people person, for sure. Yeah, he <laughs> made sure that if, if he signed your name, you could read it. He'd always tell guys, he said, if you're gonna, somebody's going to ask you for your autograph, write it to where they can read it. You yeah. know, and Just so many great lessons of being a gentleman. And, and I adored him. You know, it was like, uh, I lost my dad young, you know, and mm-hmm. got to spend 20 years of knowing Arnie and getting to spend go visit him and played some golf. And he was always kind enough to let me bring a group from the Vinny up every year to hang out with him, play some golf and 
let him tell stories, and mm. he's got he's got some great stories. Oh my goodness, <laughs> that oh my goodness, unbelievable yeah. understatement right there. Yeah. <clears throat> well, for seventy one holes, we about ten years ago had a chance to possibly watch the greatest victory in the history of golf, all to come crumbling down on an iron shot that was actually hit perfect, rolls over the green. And I, I will tell you, I don't know about you, but I think that I took Tom Watson's loss at the Open Championship harder than I've taken any loss I've me ever too. had on my own. Yeah, me too. I that. think I was sick for a week because it was so sad. I know. And, you know, I got a chance to be around Tom because Brant, when I coached Brant, that's Brant's all-time favorite player. And mm. he was so caring and gracious to Brant, especially at the Masters in 04, kind of steering him around the, the track and the do's and the don'ts. Another phenomenal gentleman of the game and an ambassador of the game. What's your What's your memories of Tom Watson? Oh man, just that of a gentleman, you know, and, and uh, gracious winner and a gracious loser. You know, that's that's when you tell a lot about somebody's how they lose, you know. But um, man, is he good? He's so good, and he came and played in the Vinny a couple of years, and we got to be pals. And one of his kids wound up going to Belmont for a little while, and I kind of helped introduce them to the right folks over there, and and. Um, I have a great story with Tom. We we uh, uh, I had just been become a member at Bell Mead, which I didn't think would ever happen, being that I was a music guy. You know, <laughs> that, that would ever happen, but I tried and it worked out. Yeah. I think being married to Amy was my saving grace by a mile, and and so I hadn't been a member for just a few weeks. And he was coming to play in the Vinny. He says, "Hey, I'm coming in a day early." Let's go play golf. I said, okay. And so it was a weekend, and I know you're not supposed to have guests on the weekend. This is not a normal guest. Yeah. And, and I said, well, so I called up there, and I said, hey, I'm, I'm new, and I don't, I don't want to do anything wrong. And, but I, uh, uh, what would be the chances if I, if I could bring a guest on, on Saturday? And they said, well, who is it? And I said, well, it's Tom Watson. And they said, the Tom Watson? I said, yeah, the Tom Watson. They said, what time would you like to play? <laughs> <laughs> oh, 10-ish, okay, 10 o'clock, you're all square. So we're out there, and it's just the two of us, and it's a, it's a Saturday, and it's packed, and we play the first hole, we get ready to tee off on two, which is par three, and the group had just teed off, and they pull off to the side of the cart path, wave us through. So we hit, and we play two, we get to three, we get up on the tee, and there's a group down the fairway, and they, they go off to the side, and they wave us through. And then the same thing happened on four, and after it happened for like the third time, I turned to him. I said, you know, they do this for me here all the time. <laughs> we, had a great, we had a great time. It was fun. I remember all those things like they were yesterday, you know. And and he, he put a little 65 on Bell Mead first time around it. And I, I got close. I think I shot 68, best round I've ever had out there at Bell Mead. And so when you're out there playing with those guys, and it, it just means so much if you can play decent. Yeah. You know, you don't want to you don't want to be playing bad when you get those opportunities. And I don't, you know, I, I certainly never had the mindset that I could hang with them. You know, on a given day, I could play the game pretty good. But day in, day out, I knew I knew where my my talents lied, and they were in music. Yeah, I, I, interesting. This kind of risk pops in my head. You've now talked about a one over par round with Jack, a four under par round with Arnie, <laughs> and a four under par round with Tom Watson. And I talk all the time about there's when there's enough arousal in the system that you can access talents that you you know that you have, but you don't know how to get them. Mm -hmm. And it has to be eerily similar walking on stage in certain moments of your life. 
what's that, what is that impetus or that feeling that you get that it's, even if it's doesn't, like, I mean, maybe when you were doing sound check or whatever, and it just didn't, it wasn't feeling right. And all of a sudden you get out there and there's 15,000 people screaming for you. It's like it just comes out of you. Yeah. Talk right. to us about that that moment where it kicks in. Well, adrenaline is a real thing. Yeah. You know, and it's a powerful thing. And and you know, I get I get maligned all the time for my temper, but oftentimes when I'll get fired up a little bit, I'll play better. I'm someone that can kind of channel it to make me shape up a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it's it's a different kind of adrenaline, but it's still adrenaline. Yeah. And, and you get out there, and you know. I just think you 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 sharpen your focus and and that makes you it just makes you kind of lift off the ground in a way. Yeah. You know, you sing things you don't normally sing, you play things you don't normally play and when man when it's all working, it's the greatest feeling in the world. It's the same thing with you start hitting it right. Yeah. You start hitting it every way that you see that you're going to hit it. You know, you don't get in that zone very often. I've gotten in a pretty good golf zone a time or two in my life. Mm-hmm. And a nice Nice streak of a bunch of rounds under par, and but then you know here comes this here comes the seventy eight, and then here comes the seventy four, and and then here comes well, I'll just play six holes. I've had enough. I'm going <laughs> rounds. You know I've got those two under my belt. But uh, it's a neat thing. You know it's a neat thing when you kind of it's it's somewhat out of body. Yeah. You know, but but they can you know it's, it's intense. You know, and there's it's really something about it, especially on the athletic field where. Where a crowd will, will will you? You know, I have this crazy theory that uh, one of the reasons Tiger Woods was so dominating is because of the way he thought. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the reasons people got beat is the way that they thought. Absolutely. And then I also think that the way there's an energy, you know, because I've felt it and I've experienced it, and I, I don't think I'm talking out my butt yeah. when I say this, but. When a crowd wills you and a crowd has a positive energy, it's a it's an amazingly powerful thing. Yeah. And I think every time, you know, he stood over that ten or fifteen footer, he thought he was gonna make it. The guy he was playing against <laughs> thought he was gonna make it. And everybody in that crowd thought he was gonna make it. Yeah. And that creates an energy that that everybody's kinda on par with, you know, and it's it's pretty staggering. And then once there's a chink in the armor, and you know, I mean, like you talked about Tom and the, the end of that British Open, that would have been that would have been bigger than Jack's Masters win, I think. Without a doubt, you I know? think it'd be the greatest victory. Yeah, it would be rivaling Tiger winning the U.S. Open on a broken leg and a torn ACL is yeah. like the most unbelievable thing we've ever seen. Yeah, and and uh, all that to say that you know, I, I I believe in energy. I believe in that. That spiritual power, I believe in all those things, you know, because yeah. I've, I've experienced them. Yeah, no doubt. Speaking of spiritual things, I thought one of the greatest honors that I've ever been able to, like, watch somebody receive was being asked to sing at Payne Stewart's funeral. Wow. Uh, he was such an unbelievable, powerful presence in golf. And he was like, he made this radical turnaround in his life from being somebody that a lot of the guys didn't want to be around on the tour to being like a major focal point for the PGA Tour and a leader of the Ryder Cup and a, the passion that he played with. But he was really, he really turned a corner in his life and it was such a tragic day. And the energy, you talk about the, the reverse energy was so heavy. Yep. And you absolutely killed it in that performance. And first of all, I don't know how you did it because one, he's played in the Vinny, 
a good friend of yours, and like how you kept it together, buddy. I tip my cap to you on that because I was I was balling and I wasn't there, <laughs> and I was. I mean, it was. Oh man, it was. It was a day. It's tough, you know. Some some of those things when when you have to be in in that moment and in those kinds of situations. Oftentimes, I don't make it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm an emotional guy. Everybody knows that. With laughter, with anger, with with sorrow, with you name it. Amy Amy explained it to me once. It was so beautifully done. It was just one of the only times anybody ever said anything constructive to me about being emotional, you know. And uh, I was playing with her, and I, I broke a three-wood. I stuck it in the bag and broke the head off. And we weren't married yet. We were just friends and playing around to golf together out in California with her managers. And and I said, oh, I'm sorry about that. She goes, that eh, doesn't surprise me. I said, what do you mean? She said, well... You're an emotional guy," she said. "I, I watch you when something's funny. Nobody laughs harder, and I've seen you, you know, completely fall apart in front of the whole world, you know, and cry and lose it. And, and now you've had a shot, and you're mad." She says, "You can't control any of your emotions. How would you ever be expected to control one?" It was so powerful. Wow, it's beautiful. And uh, so that's, you know, a lot of times, you know, I, I just have to go somewhere else. You know, I can't. I can't find myself really being in the moment yeah. or the emotions will destroy me. Hmm. So I'll, I'll go, I'll go to another place. I'll think of things that are funny. I'll, th- you know, anything I can to distract me. Yeah. And, um, Payne was so much fun to be around. He's one of those guys that liked music as much as I liked golf, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there's some of those friendships I've made over the years and, and with those, those tour players and, and, They'd rather, you know, there's times they'd rather be a rock star, oh, yeah. you know, than a golfer. And there's times I'd rather be a golfer than a hillbilly star, you know. And yeah. it's just, it just makes for the perfect blend to, to, to make a friend, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I knew about Payne's plane for a couple hours before it went down that he oh, was wow. on it. And it was just a sad day just sitting there watching CNN knowing he was up there yeah. and what was going to happen. It was, it was brutal. And the, the, there was the song I wrote for him after his after his passing called Hey God. and But the, a lot of people don't know the song I was working on and had just finished and put the pen down um, was um, the phone call came and my friend Lamar Haynes, who was roommate of Payne's at, um, at SMU, he called and he said, hey, Payne's on that plane. Payne's on a private plane. They just and it's you know it's bad and so the song i had just finished was called let's make sure we kiss goodbye wow and the words of that song were so you know it's like when you leave when you're about to leave somebody you love so, well let's send da, 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 let's make sure we kiss goodbye in case you know something bad happens yeah man so good so good and, and the thing is is that you know, life is full of uh, peaks and valleys, oh, man. and it's the ability to overcome and and persevere through difficult times. And I mean, your your story is riddled with raging success, man. And it's uh, one of the one of the greatest stories there is to tell in in music, let alone country music, and in golf and what you give back. But I know that it wasn't a complete, total, straight line, vertical ascension to the top. Is there anything in your life that you persevered through that made you dig deeper than you thought you knew that you actually ended up pulling out of and being on the other side that made you 
to be the the best version of yourself today? Well, I think, and this uh, this is going to sound it's going to sound weird coming out of my mouth, but my ears never lied to me. They told me how good I was, and how I could play, and how I could sing, and that never it may have never translated for a lot of years in what I was doing or trying to do, but I never lost that hope, and I never lost that that belief in myself that was, you know, I mean, you could you could say the same thing about golf. You could sit over there and say, man, I, I'm hitting the ball. I hit the ball better than that guy. And I think I might putt better, but I just for some reason I haven't put it all together. Or he putts better than I do, and I hit it better than he does, and whatever. It, it, you, you, you know you're out there watching it, mm-hmm. you know, and if you don't believe in yourself, nobody else will, you know, mm-hmm. and sometimes you're the, you're the only – Kind of the only chance you've got. Yeah, and it was it was kind of neat that that I had so many years of struggling. I think that set me up for the years of success. In that I I, I think I knew how to respond to it mm-hmm. because I'd learned so much about how to how to handle failure, yeah. you know, and how to how to miss and how to miss and how to miss and how to miss uh, with song after song after song and and kind of kind of builds your muscle memory up of deflecting, you know, yeah. some of that stuff. And, you know, they say about great inventors, they, they fail more than they succeed. They try to create something and they fail. They try to create something and they fail and they finally, finally do it. You yeah. know, they finally patent something that's great, you know. But I don't, I don't know. And the other thing is, is it was not, on the flip side of that, success, um, was not going to be my definition of who mm-hmm. I was. Yeah. You know, you can you can you can take a record and and make it and either 10 people buy it or 10 million people buy it. The truth is, not one note changed in that music because of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it was either there or it wasn't. And that's kind of how I have always have always rolled, you know. I, I was never too worried because I, I didn't have to be successful to make a living, mm-hmm. you know, to get by. And I was willing to take whatever I got. Yeah. I was never, I wasn't bitter. I wasn't the guy that was bitter all the time that it hadn't happened for me. Mm-hmm. hasn't happened for me. I just said, I am. I'm good at this. I, I can play and sing. I can go play in somebody's band if I need to. I can travel on the road. I can do sessions. I can, you know, I had a lot of vehicles mm-hmm. uh, at my disposal musically that, that, Scratch the itch. Yeah. So I was kind of okay, even in all the struggling years. Sure. I found it fascinating. I had the opportunity to spend some time with fellow guitarists, Joe Don Rooney and Keb Moe. Yeah. And they both talked to me uh, about how much you mean to them and how much you showed them mm. the proper work ethic of being an elite guitarist. And Keb Moe told me a story that, you know, and this led me to an interview that we had on PGA Tour Radio with Danny Briggs and Ned about, um, you know, Keb said that he, he thinks that you're one of the 10 greatest guitar players in the history of music. Mm. And that, you know, Eric Clapton feels that way too. And and then, like, literally the next day I teach Joe Don Rooney, he goes, man, I'm sorry I'm late, man. I was with Vince. We're just just working on some stuff. And I'm like, oh, really working? And he goes, well, he's not really working on anything. Like, we're going to do something together. But he's just showing me how to be a professional. And how, how you, if you want to be an awesome guitar player, this what this is what your process has to be. This is what I do. Yeah. And they both spoke so remarkably high 
on not just your ability to sing and, and make music, but how much of a mentor you were to them. And I think that that is one of the greatest gifts that well, you probably know it, but I mean, sometimes it's really good to hear that not only do you impact people by the music that you play, but you impact people that play music because they look to you as a guiding light. And that's, yeah. a, that's, a, beautiful, that's a beautiful thing. Well, um, that's kind. I appreciate you saying that. I, I love both of those boys. and I, love, I heard Keb tell a story. You know, somebody asked him a question once in an interview. He said, when did you finally really hit it? When did you make it? When did you start to really turn it around? And he said, when I didn't have a backup plan. <laughs> it was so cool. Yeah. You know, he says, I didn't have the sure thing in my back pocket. Yeah. So when I finally cast it all into the wind, said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this, that's when it. That's when it turned around for him. And, um, I think I've always, I think I still feel like the student, even though I'm 63 years old. Yeah. I know I'm one of the old guys now, but I refuse to kind of, to buy into the, the mindset of that, yeah. that you're now the one that, that mentors. I do a, a good bit of it, but not intentionally. And as long as I have the people that, that showed me how to do it. And I was, you know, as a lucky kid, I was always the kid in the band. I was always the young kid in every band I was in. Mm-hmm. Now I'm in the Eagles, and I'm the young kid in the band again. Yeah. I'm 10 years younger than the principal guys. Huh. And <clears throat> except for Deacon, who really is a kid. Yeah. Glenn's son. But, um, and I think that that's, you know, that's the, the thing about music is, is it's, it's different than golf. With golf, it's just you. It's just you against the game. Mm-hmm. And with music, it's a collaboration. It's a democracy. I talk about the, 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 the making of music is, is a democracy and that that's when the word democracy really kind of yeah. <laughs> has its meaning. It doesn't, it, it, you can't use that word too much these days <laughs> in, our, in our political uh, process no because kidding. it doesn't exist, yeah. sadly. Unfortunately, you know? you're right. They pretend it does, but it really doesn't. <clears throat> Excuse me. In, in, in music... Six or seven guys in a band, and you got you know your your sole purpose is this song, and everybody rallies around that song, yeah, and they do what's the right thing for that song, and everybody gets to do their part in lifting that song up and making it a a record, yeah, you know, and it's it's kind of beautiful um to me when when you when you don't give a rip about who gets the credit and and that's the way I do yeah i i you know I've always. I always felt like I was just the, the guy that sang the songs in the band. Yeah. Even in my solo career, I felt like it was a band mentality, and and you you need you know you need the help. Yeah. The truth is, you need you need all the ingredients to make the soup. Yeah, no question about it. You know, it was interesting. I did a uh, a podcast with Greg Harrington, the drummer for Martina McBride, and Greg said when he's never had a backup plan, and he thought that was the key to his success. And then I talked to Barry Dean, who you had recently just played with him in Franklin. Yeah. And he said it was, it was such an amazing time. And he said, you, the key to all these, I've, I've interviewed a bunch of younger up-and-comers in country music. And he was just like, make sure you tell them, no backup plan. If they want to be, <laughs> be in this game, that's the mindset you have to have. And I think it's like the fifth time I've heard it now in, in my podcast. It's like, mm. no backup plan in this game. Yeah, I mean, I... I and I was 18 years old. I wasn't going to go to college. I'd been playing music, making records, and being in bands. And I saw my future, luckily, yeah. early on. And 
I just said, hey, I'm going to move to Kentucky and, be, and get in a band. Mm-hmm. Just got out of high school. And I, I said to myself, what's the worst thing that can happen? You can go home. At any point during all of this, since I left home. So what's the worst thing that can happen? Well, I go home. Yeah. Yeah. So true. And that, that is, like, perspective is critical. Because, like, that, that's such a beautiful way. Because like, your brain can play tricks on you <laughs> when it comes to succeeding and failing. Sure. And when you when you have a great, like, well, the, that is right. The worst outcome is, well, I'll just drive back to Norman and come up with point 2.0 <laughs> mindset. Well, I think it's fascinating. You, you, you have your fingers in almost all genres. Like, you're almost like one of the gatekeepers of bluegrass. You're in a rock band. You're a country music icon and a legend. And you, you, you're not, you can do anything and have had success in gospel, bluegrass, country, and rock. Have you always been that diverse in your delivery, or are you just willing to take chances? Well, I think it, stem, it's, it stems from, um, to me, music is, it's, it's never, sadly, what happens in music is everybody does what we've done historically. We like to, we separate, we segregate, we control, we define, we know what it is. You know, if we have a label on it, well, I don't like this. Well, how do you know? You know, mm-hmm. well, if, you know, it's like the jeans you wear, you know, they've got a label. You want to wear the best, the coolest jeans that everybody's wearing. It's a little bit of it's, uh, is your insecurity yeah. drives some of that. But we've always, you know, mu- musical people. Did you see the Ken Burns documentary on country music? Yes. Amazing. It's, it's unbelievable because it, it <clears throat> affirms everything I've always been. I am the furthest thing from a racist. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people would assume because country music is a little more rural-minded that they wouldn't be accepting of, of the African-American culture. And I knew the whole time I'd learned as much from black musicians as I had white musicians. Mm-hmm. I'd learned, you know, and I didn't care what it was as long as it was good. You know, Count Basie said that yeah. 100 years ago was there's two kinds of music, good and bad. Yeah, And that's how I've always... I've always felt about music. It was, why do you only have to like one thing? That All that does is shows what a narrow mind you have, you know? Yeah. So I loved it all and learned from it all. You know, I, I think anything, if you'll, if you'll allow yourself to, to dive into it, you can, you can find something that you're, that you're taken with. Yeah, for sure. Talk to us about the importance of Amy in your life. Mm. Um, I've been to your Christmas show, I believe, the last eight years of, of my life. And the the chemistry is, you can, you can it's easy to see. She's such a magnificent personality and almost like a grace of God beyond, beyond words. What does, what does, what did Amy bring to you in your life and ha- what's, what's it like to also be married to another superstar? Well, we do, I don't think either one of us uh, that that's on either one of our radars mm-hmm. <laughs> that we're yeah. su- we're successful. It's part of the reason she is who she is. Sure, she's ignored all that in a way, and and <clears throat> there's nobody any different than anybody else in life. You know, whether you clean floors or you're the the, the king of the world. Yeah. You know, everybody's the same in her in her eyes. She treats everybody. <clears throat> 
an equal equal playing field and that to me is the, is the greatest gift of her is is you know she's ignored you know you, a lot of times it's easy to see people um respond to their success in a sadly negative way yeah no kidding <laughs> you know and uh for us it's just peaceful you know there's there's i i get to start a day out really peaceful you know there's no there's no underlying drama in my life yeah. you know and and we've been married for 20 years now and and uh we're just you know meant to be together it's that simple you know yeah. and i think a lot of people have have uh cast some dispersions and said some derogatory things about how we wound up together but they don't they don't really know yeah the truth and and that's typical of of people that are negative minded and want to say say negative things and you know they spout off about stuff they don't really know anything about and yeah and don't don't mind that but we uh we just uh there's there's something that I can't even describe about that whole connection thing that's just it's it's mutual and it's beautiful and it was evident first time we ever walked into a room together really oh wow yeah like first time Mm -hmm. it was like powerful yep she walked into a room at a rehearsal and looked at me and smiled and went "Uh uh-oh oh yeah so that's yeah she's she's uh she's something that's awesome one of the things I, I, I forgot to mention, we did, I did bring it up a second. We had, had you on PGA Tour Radio maybe eight years ago, seven years ago. It was Danny Briggs and I, and I asked you a question. I said, you know, help us with something. Who's the greatest guitar player of all time, Eric Clapton or Jimi Hendrix? And you laughed, and you said, Virgil, if I told you who the greatest guitar player was, you would have never heard of him. <laughs> uh, because there are so many unbelievable guitarists yeah. in Nashville, session guitarists, that you couldn't even believe it. And I might even say that my top 10, you might not have ever heard of. Yeah. Talk to us about that, that, that session world and the songwriting world in, in country music. That's different than most other genres in which, you know, in rock, most of the guys write their own stuff. And in country, there's this, this collaboration between writers and the artist. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's all different. I think a lot of times, you know, it's like, what's the best brand of, of, uh, deck polish you know <laughs> it's it's the one you've heard of yeah you know and somebody told me that the one you've heard of is not that great <laughs> but you know in the, in the the beautiful thing about music is it's so different it's not sports yeah. you know when you when you go tally up who shot the lowest round hey it's 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 a given yeah that guy's the best guy this week you know with music there's no answer to it yeah you know, it doesn't. It doesn't come in a box and say this is the, this is the answer. There is no answer, and that's what's beautiful about it. What you hear, I don't. What you like, I may not. Yeah. And and so, to say, you know, you could ask ten different people who's the best, and they would give you ten different answers. Yeah. Maybe everybody pick the guy that's the most famous. Uh-huh. You know, and all that kind of stuff. But it's it's such a, it's such an interesting thing because. Um, you know, there is, everybody plays an instrument differently, mm-hmm. you know, and there's certain people that I think are great singers, but their voices don't speak to me. Mm-hmm. I think their gift is, is beyond measure, but the sound of it doesn't hit me, yeah. doesn't, doesn't move me. And that to me is, is the real key to music is to be moved by it. 
not yeah. impressed by it. Yeah. And, unf- and fortunately, we're all we kind of live in an age where we're we're impressed by something because of how much they can do, or how many how many licks somebody can sing, or how many thousands of notes, how fast somebody could play would then fool us into thinking, well, that's the fastest I've ever heard. It must be the best. Yeah. You know, but give me three notes that make me cry over 30 notes that make me go, wow, that was a lot of information. <laughs> and I'll take the three notes. Yeah. That's just me. Sure. You know, and, and that's what's beautiful about it is, is truth be told, there there is no, there is no answer to music. Yeah. It just goes out in the air and you just respond to it. Yeah. So true. Yeah, it's beautiful. I remember, uh, I think it was the 94 Grammys, and Pearl Jam was the biggest thing in the history of the world, so to speak, in 94, and they won a Grammy, and Eddie came up to the microphone and said that, uh, this is so strange for me to accept an award for art. I don't know what makes anybody think that Pearl Jam is better than Soundgarden or all the other bands, and I feel weird accepting this. I'll say thank you, but it almost seems... Weird to accept an award for the greatest art when we're all just doing what we love. Uh, what we love, yeah. And I, I, that was something. That was the first time I ever, because I've, I've loved music all of my life. It almost like I have soundtracks for places in my mind. Like everywhere I go, it's attached to something. And that was the first time I thought up about music as not a championship or a, a chase for uh, a, awards or stardom or what have you. And like they were like, and that was the biggest band at the time in rock and roll. And they were like, this is just, it's just art. I yeah. Like, wow. I mean, I never thought about that like you that. think about it. If, if, if the awards were meant to be like everything else, you just go down the line and go, okay, he sold the most records. He should win. He sold the most concert tickets. He should win. But that's not how it works. Yeah. You get a bunch of people and you go, Hey, I'm a vote. Who do I like? That's who I like the best. You know, mm-hmm. it's uh <laughs> and even that, then you go, well, that's, you know, a lot of times people complained about the Grammys, um, who won the Grammys, because, the, well, they're not the biggest thing going in country music. I said, that's not the point. You know, you've got people that like jazz, you got people that like blues, you got people that like pop, you got, you know, mm-hmm. hip, whatever, you know, and they get kind of going, hey, I like this guy. So it's not your normal focused on who. The biggest that you know, there were years that that I might win Entertainer of the Year, you know, with the CMAs, but I didn't come close to selling as many tickets as probably most everybody else that was in the category. Yeah. So biggest biggest does not necessarily mean best, and biggest doesn't always necessarily define who, who who's going to win. Yeah. You know? It's just it's <clears throat> it's not. I don't I don't I don't enjoy seeing music. Uh, as a competition, yeah, in any shape or form, mm-hmm. and even in awards, I, I think they're you know, you know, people would 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 tend to believe, and most people would think that the Entertainer of the Year award is the biggest award, and it's seen as that. But I always said, no, nah, not to me. Mm-hmm. Song of the Year, Song of the Year. This is a song town. Yeah. I said, who? That's the most important thing to me are the songs. Yeah, no doubt. And still that way, I feel that way. The the, the we're all going to come and go. The singers and players and all that stuff but those songs are the one thing that will last throughout all of it yeah no question about that you know and and in many ways when i when i think of what music means to so many people is it's a connection point between your heart and your mind writing it down and their experiences that are relatively close to what you're singing about Mm -hmm. and the the power of lyric 
to me, I'm moved, by, I'm moved by the lyrics. I'm a lyric guy more than I am anything else. And I hear guitar. And like I, and I heard, like it's so funny, like one of my favorite bands is a band named Tool and their drummers, Danny Carey, and he's so fantastic. And I, my best friend in college was a drummer. And he goes, dude, Danny's the best drummer ever. And I'm like, I've actually never heard the drums in their music. That's so strange. And I'm like, because I only ever hear guitar. I heard I was a Guns N' Roses fan, so Slash and sure. you know, then, like you and Joe Don, and then all these other great musicians. I'm literally going, all I hear is guitar, and and the and the story that they're telling. Who were your role models and/or mentors in the songwriting piece? Oh, good question. Uh, James Taylor would have been an early one. Oh wow, James uh, Taylor. The Beatles would have been, you know, Paul Simon. All these people wrote these great songs. You may not have known it at mm-hmm. ten years old, yeah. But you know, fifty years later, you go, "Oh, no wonder I liked that guy. How good those songs are!" You know. Um, and then as I got older, uh, guys like Rodney Crowell, guys like Guy Clark, that they, you know, I like. I always like story songs mm-hmm. that, that that had characters and and took you somewhere. You know, they call they call a lot of the love songs and stuff that. We do in country music. They call Little Darling songs. She left me. I'm sad and a lot of that and mm-hmm. a lot of broken heart and feelings and stuff. But man, the songs about characters that that uh, uh, that took you somewhere were really 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 powerful. Yeah. You know, I think back to songs like El Paso. You know, Marty Robbins did this song in the early '60s called El Paso. There's about ten verses. You know, and it's just this great love story. You know. And, fantastic so you the country music has always been fairly well known for good story songs yeah no doubt but so is pop music Mm. and I don't know I just uh, I can't help but I just like what I like yeah (laughs) country music is interesting now because everybody like as as we talked about in politics it's kind of getting divided so like I love the fact that between the ACMs and the CMAs there's this beautiful blend of People, they bring in Justin Timberlake to play, sing with Stapleton. They bring in um, somebody else to sing with Carrie Underwood. But the 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 kind of the combining of popular genres together almost separates uh, the the country music people between progressive. This is awesome, and I love the fusion of it. And then the old diehards that think it's terrible and we're ruining the ruining it. What's your take on? The, the the fusing of different musics and what it's benefiting or not benefiting country music going forward? Well, I mean, everybody's entitled to love what they love and like what they like, and and that's fine. Mm-hmm. you know. And I just think inclusion is the only way to live. Yeah, It's the best way to live. And, and I'm not a, a segregationist. Yeah. I don't, I, you know, we should look at our past and go, hey, look at all these, look at all these mistakes, you know. And... You know, we've we've never sadly treated each other equal mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of places. You know, not only with race, but with class and with money, with jobs, with immigration, with you name it. You yeah. know, we just are not. You know, kind of hoard our own and want to be uh, not so inclusive in our mindset. Not, I just I don't see that being as 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 helpful. We should. Find a way to to learn from our mistakes and move forward in a little bit better light. 
um, but we won't and we don't yeah. sometimes. And you know, so, but it doesn't. You know, that's the that's the way it should be because you think about it. You know, when the way they've done music, well, they they brand it. It's only this, and you kind of segregate it. Yeah. And then jazz is this, and then I I can't like this because I like this, and it's just like okay, but man, you're missing the point. You yeah. Know? No doubt. And and it's changed. You know, it's changed. You go back to you know country music started in 1927 on on record yeah. you know of of when the first records were made with the Carter family and and uh, Jimmy Rogers and 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 you go ten or fifteen years later the records were nothing like those were you go fifteen years later down the road those records were nothing like Roy Acuff's and then along comes Ray Price along comes Haggard along comes Ronnie Millsap and it, it just evolves and it's it's why why should it ever stay the same? Mm-hmm. You know, I like, you know, you know, it's like the McDonald's mentality in that I'm going to go to McDonald's because I know what it tastes like. Yeah. You know, and that's all I want because I know I know what I'm getting. And that's that's fine. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with it. Yeah. But the other side uh, of the coin doesn't need to be, uh, you know, spoken spoken ill of because yeah. it's different. Sure. You know? Different is good. Different is very good. Last question before we shift the gears to what recharges your batteries. One of the things that I notice about the the Eagles era music versus now is that there were so many harmony bands back in that time. And now there's hardly anything like that. Do you sense that harmony and harmonizing is going to head back? Like the pendulum is going to swing back the other way? Or do you sense that that's a it's just going to be a moment in time where we look back on it and say, this is what the music sounded like back then? Oh, I think it's you know I don't I don't think it's ever going to it may go back and emulate at times, mm-hmm. and it, but it's it's always changed. To, so to expect it to go back would probably probably not happen. But um, and the other reason that band was so good is because their songs. Yeah, their songs are timeless. Their songs are great. Doesn't matter who does them, whether they have harmony or don't, they're still great songs. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a great song starts with a guy on a guitar or a guy on a piano as a song. Mm-hmm. You know, and then they, you can treat it. You can make it a pop song. You can make it a country song. You can make it a jazz song. You can formulate it and change it and make it into anything you want to fit into a, a genre or a format or what have you. But it's still, man. If it wasn't, re- if it's not real good, right there with a the guy that wrote it. The guy singing it, then I don't care what you do to it, you're not going to make it mm-hmm. into something that it's not. You know? So true. Well, the second half of the show is set up to now that we've understood what makes your great, you great, and your processes that you've put in place to be where you are today. We're talking about things that you do to recharge your batteries. Historically speaking, and this may be changing as we know it, but it's usually sporting events where a lot of people gather with the same mindset, live concerts, live music, live festivals, art festivals, a bunch of like-mindedness getting together to share the same joy. From Norman, Oklahoma, are you an Oklahoma Sooner fan? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was born in Norman, and then we moved to Oklahoma City when I was four. But I root for Oklahoma State just as hard as I do Oklahoma. Oh, okay. I didn't go to college, so I don't have a – I don't have to define – Mm-hmm. Which school I'm for? You know, I'm for anybody from Oklahoma. Yeah, artists, musicians, whatever it is. I just root for my home state. Sure, no matter what. But no, I'd, 
my dad went to school at both. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> he flunked out of O State and then went to Oklahoma and went to law school and all that. But um, no, I just I love my sports, but not to the point of where I can't like somebody because they're from another, <laughs> they root for another team. Yeah. What were your favorite teams on the sports that you when you were growing up? Uh, as a kid, golly, good question. Um, well. College football, when I was a kid, if you didn't, you know, Oklahoma was so powerful. Yeah. Oklahoma State couldn't hang with them, and they were so good in football. But then Oklahoma State was good in wrestling, good in golf, and mm-hmm. other sports. And um, in my baseball team, we had a, 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 I guess it was maybe a triple-A team called Oklahoma City 89ers. Yeah. I went to a lot of games. They were, for a long time, with the Houston Astros farm team. So I saw some good ball players come through there. And we had a hockey team called Oklahoma City Blazers. And they were a farm team of the Bruins. And mm-hmm. in the 60s, the Bruins were great. Yeah. So, um, in fact, Terry Crisp, who came to Nashville when the Predators came, yeah. uh, as, the, as the play-by-play guy with, with, uh, with Pete, um, I met him right off the bat, and I said, I watched you play when I was a little boy in Oklahoma City because you're <laughs> kidding me. <laughs> so it made great. for us to get to be great friends. And and those were the teams around locally. And then I liked – I think I liked – I liked teams because of a certain player that yeah. might be on them. You know, I love Willie Mays. I love Bob Gibson. loved Hank Aaron. So I rooted for those teams. Mm. Um, I liked the Dodge. I just, you know, I didn't really have a diehard uh, – Anything. I was a Cowboys, Dallas Cowboys fan because mm. they were the closest football team we sure. had. You know, that would have been a pro team. And and hockey was not necessarily on. I would root for the Bruins mm. uh, as a pro team. And then, then I loved golf. The first live golf I think I ever saw uh, in person was a, a college tournament. Uh, and we went and followed the three guys that were playing for the individual title that day. And I might have been 14, 15 years old. I can't remember. And uh, it was Ben Crenshaw, Gary Koch, and Andy Bean hmm. all playing. And they all three wound up being great friends of mine. How, how awesome A million is that? years later. That is so cool. pretty cool. And, and uh, gosh, I don't remember. That's, that's about it. Yeah. Who, what's the greatest sporting event you've witnessed in person? Oh, witnessed in person. That's a good question. Uh, the, first, the first one I witnessed in person was a great game. Uh, OU Nebraska. Oh yeah, nineteen seventy one. Johnny Rogers. Yeah, you were there. Yeah, that is awesome. Yeah, that's widely considered one of the greatest games of all time. Yeah, that was <sighs> the first game I, I think I got. To, I might have gone to a OU Texas game before that, but was pretty young. Don't really remember it. But yeah, I remember that OU Nebraska game. And then wow. years later, you know, fast forward forty years, um, Tom Osborne, who I thought was the classiest coach that ever was at Nebraska, even though he was a rival, I thought. Yeah. You're classy. You know, when he was in that game and they could have kicked the extra point at the end of the game and they would have won the national championship, he went for two and didn't get it. And I thought that's the coolest, maybe one of the coolest things I've ever seen in sports. And so he asked me to come and do a fundraiser for him in, in, in Lincoln. And I went up there and got to meet him and told him the story that first college game I think I ever went to was you guys and that game. And he sent me a helmet. After I got home, that was half Oklahoma, half Nebraska, and all the players that were still around that oh, played in that game signed wow. it. Wow! Now that is awesome. Yeah, 
That is so cool. Tom Osborne, that was a great era of coaches between Paterno, Bear Bryant, Tom Osborne, Bud Wilkinson, Johnny Majors. Wow. They don't make them like that anymore. I know. It's, you know who I, I got to spend, I don't know, this doesn't have anything to do with anything, but um, I got, got to spend the day with uh, Bobby Knight a few years ago, and he oh. told me a story that I just it was, thought it was fascinating. That uh, He said, you remember, you know, Bo, Bo Schimbeckler? I said, sure. He said he was supposed to go to Wisconsin to coach and not Michigan. Hmm. And they they'd hired him to go to Wisconsin and he got there and the way they were doing the contract or he, they they didn't didn't see eye to eye and he said I'm not coming and he said the first thing he did was call Bobby cuz they'd hired Bobby to be the basketball coach at Wisconsin. So oh if he'd have had Bobby Knight at Wisconsin, Bo Schimbeckler, how different you know, both of those teams would have been probably. Yeah, sure. And he wound up going to Michigan, and Bobby went to Indiana. Interesting. Yeah. Bobby Knight's a character, buddy. He's awesome. <laughs> Bo called him, so whatever you do, don't come here. They don't know what in the hell they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. That is so funny. Well, you've obviously, because you've played music all of your life, you've played your own great concerts. But have you ever been a spectator at a concert that blew you away oh yeah many 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 times what are your favorites well my favorite was paul mccartney and that was god 30 years ago wow yeah i, I surprised my first wife janice with um she was always a beetle nut and i was too mm -hmm. and i surprised her and for our 10th anniversary i said just pack a bag i'm taking you somewhere and we flew to florida and I got tickets, and we got to go see Paul McCartney in Florida. Was it Paul? Or was it Wings, or was it just Paul McCartney? I don't remember if he was if it was billed as Wings or mm -hmm. it was just him. But got to hear all those songs finally oh, in real time, and it was beautiful. A true magician. And, too. and then fast forward twenty seven, twenty eight years later, and I finally got to meet him and have dinner with him and become acquainted. It's pretty, yeah, pretty surreal. How cool was that moment? It's unbelievable. Yeah. Got to thank him. You know, that's the best part. Yeah. Just say, hey, thanks for inspiring me my whole life. Wow. What a moment. Yeah. That is so cool. <laughs> I mean, it might not, I mean, he's a definitely, he's a face of Mount Rushmore when it comes yeah. to, yeah, no to all music for sure. So I was going to this dinner and, and I just joined the Eagles and was playing with Joe and we were friends and been friends for years before that. But anyway, Joe invited me to dinner. He said, I'm having dinner tonight with Ringo and, and Paul. And uh, I said, oh, cool. I said, and he says, I'm sorry you can't go because I know you're flying back. I said, well, plane doesn't leave till 1 in the morning. He said, well, come by for dinner. And I said, okay. So I was pumped. You know? Oh, yeah. And uh, so I get this posh Beverly Hills restaurant, you know, and I, I'm the last one to get there. And they've got this round table kind of off in the back. And and, uh, and, I, I, and I saw the empty chair at the table, and I started for the, the chair, and the manager came and blocked me. I kind of tried to go around him, and he took a couple steps and blocked me again. And I took another couple steps. He tried to block me again. And I said, I, I think that's my chair. And he goes, are you Mr. Gill? I said, yeah. And he goes, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I said, it's okay. I'd have done the same thing. So we had this great dinner and sitting around, and Jack Nicholson was at the table, and, and it was really just surreal and wow. funny. And so uh, – we finished the meal and they slipped off to go and I was going to go catch my car and go go to the airport and 
I was on my way out, and the manager was trying to get somewhere, so I took a, I took a couple steps in front of him and stopped him, and he tried to go around me, and I took a couple more steps, <laughs> stopped him again. He goes, that's funny. That's really funny. <laughs> uh, that is so good. That is so good. When uh, you know, One of the things, another piece, and one of my favorite things is, is wine and food and wine and bringing those two things together and how powerful that can be. Are you uh, are you a wine guy? You like you like no, the, I'm a no? teetotaler. A teetotaler. Been teetotaler for thirty plus years now. Yeah, I never had a drinking problem. I like to. I got overserved plenty in my life, but I was not a. I didn't have an alcohol problem. I didn't drink at home. Mm-hmm. And it was not a big part of my life, and and I got to the point where I said I don't really don't even like the taste of it, mm-hmm. you know, that much, and yeah. and and I didn't like being buzzed and. And my and Jenny was about five five years old, six years old. I said, I don't really want my kid to see me drink, hmm. so I quit. Interesting. Yeah, well, that's great. When you like of the places that you've traveled, what's the most beautiful place that you've ever been? Oh, good question. Um, and I just went to I went to New Zealand last year. I'd never been there. Oh wow! And the the south part of New Zealand is as breathtaking as anything I've ever seen. The, the mountain range there is they say it's bigger than than the whole the whole of the Swiss Alps and it's, it was stunning um, I saw a few I saw I saw a view in Arkansas coming home from Oklahoma Sunday night at sunset and there was just up in the Ozarks and it was just for about two seconds I saw this view that was just crazy first time I saw the ocean was pretty magical yeah um, you know you go to Places like up in Northern California with those big trees and then go mm. see Pebble Beach or go, you know, that's pretty hard to beat. Yeah. Pebble Beach in the ocean. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> Did you play Quarry Cliffs and Cape Kidnappers when you were in New Zealand? Mm-mm. No. Didn't get to play any golf over there, really. Yeah, that's something that's on my, that is a bucket list item for me. Those two courses. I know Brant played in, a, in an event, right? I think it was Rookie of the Year, the year after his Rookie of the Year on the PGA Tour, which would be 08. He played in an event with Hunter Mahan and a couple other guys. And it was the Cape Kidnappers and, and Quarry Cliffs. And I was just like, that looks like Pebble Beach on steroids <laughs> because the cliffs were so high yeah. and it's so amazing. I was like, I was thinking, I would imagine that would have been really difficult to find out you co- you weren't going to be playing. Yeah. It's pretty everywhere if you can find it. Yeah. You got to look hard sometimes. That's right. It's on, <laughs> on what you see. Outside of those things, what are the things that you like to do to recharge, especially coming off of a off of a tour that's you know that might be thirty weeks long, to just kind of recharge your batteries? Oh man, I just I, I like familiarity. I go to Nashville every morning for breakfast. That's a it's a great place to see my pals and mm-hmm. counter rats and all the servers I know and the cooks, my buddy, and just uh, you know simple things. I don't need I don't need a whole lot, you know. And, and, uh, uh, this game, this game is has been the constant yeah. of recharging. I don't fish anymore. I don't do things like that, like I used to. Um, if I can just get out there and walk a golf course and play and be to myself, it's it's interesting in that it, that um, I live my life in front of people yeah. all the time. So an escape for me is nothing. Yeah, you know that's what oftentimes feels feels good to me. Is doing nothing. Mm-hmm. I found out during the 
during the the virus here, I'm really good at it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you. I kind of feel like I told I told a bunch of people. So I, I just realized that I've been social distancing for like 27 years now because <laughs> I do one lesson at a time, one person at a time, and I go home and play golf with my boys, and then I go home and cook. Cook, help cook dinner, clean up everything, go yeah. to bed and rewind the tape and do it all over again. So it hasn't really, thank goodness I'm safe and everybody in my family's safe and healthy. But I mean, at the end of the day, my life really hasn't changed a whole lot uh, either. Yeah. When, obviously, no live music for sure. But I mean, at the end of the day, like you said, it's just kind of like your life hasn't been radically changed like in the day to day because of. I know, yeah, because through it all, you've been able to play golf. Yeah, man, I couldn't and, imagine if I wasn't yeah, able to play golf. I know, and it's been great. You know, I've been walking some, and um, it's just great. You know, it's and it, it doesn't feel a whole lot different. Mm-hmm. I know the world is completely different around me. Yeah. But in my world and in my bubble, it's about the same. About the same. Now we get to ask some some unique questions where I know that because you've already given your stance that you don't like to say things are greater than somebody else, but we'll play a little game. Jack Nicholas or Tiger Woods? Jack. Jack. How about uh, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, or Kobe? Uh, Michael. Have you watched any of that last dance? It's been great. I haven't seen the second oh, four parts of it. I've watched the first four parts. It is so It is so amazing. It's like, takes take you right down memory lane. Yeah. It's different. All those guys are different, you know. Mm-hmm. Kobe was more like Michael, but, but, but uh, LeBron is like. All of them put together with the body of Shaq or something, you know, he's yeah. a giant and he's so strong. It's like he's like half Magic Johnson, half Michael Jordan, uh-huh. exactly. you know, because he's more of like a a playmaker than he is, yeah, the, 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 yeah, the cleaner. He's, and he's 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 brawny. You yeah, know? that's what I liked about. I saw Michael play once live um, at a Laker game, uh, and I had court seats, and it was just unbelievable to watch him glide and to watch yeah. him do what he did. He was so graceful. I like that. You know, mm-hmm. I like things that are graceful. Watching Wayne Gretzky skate one time, I saw him play one game, and he just looked like a an Olympian out there skating against against everybody else. Yeah, those two. I was going to say that was my next one. Gretzky, little you. Oh yeah, <laughs> I played golf with Mario. You have? Yeah, he's a really good player. Yeah, he is. Very big guy. He's giant. We, <laughs> I could not we, believe how big he was. Oh, I know. When we I got met. I got a great Mario Lemieux story. We were playing in the uh, Bob Hope tournament one year. Me and Mario, we're like the two giant henchmen, you know. And we're playing with John Cook, and and uh, we're playing this hole, and and uh, we finished the hole, and it's a par five, and everybody birdies the hole, and John didn't birdie the hole, and he was mad. He would come off that green, he was ticked off, you know, and going to the next tee, and some guy came up and said, "Hey, can I get your autograph?" And he goes, "I'll be glad to when I'm done." You know, he was nice to him and everything. The guy called him a name, you know, and John Cook turned around and went after him, you know, and got in, got in his face. He said, I was nice enough to tell you I'd do it after I got done. And da, 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 da. me and Mario went and got in between John and this guy. Who said, you might ought to, you know, we were kind of his bodyguards. You might want to go, go on down the road. I don't think I could do anything, but I know Mario could. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, I was so like the, the two people that shocked me the most and how big they were compared to what I thought they would be were Mario Lemieux and John Elway. Mm, yeah, John's a big boy. My goodness! So like when my, when the first time I played Augusta, John John Elway, who was my football idol, was teeing off right after me. Yeah, cool. And I'm like, 
His chest is like I know, this massive. thick. I'm like, you're the biggest, <laughs> and you're a quarterback. I played golf with him a few times. I like that guy. He's, yeah, he's he's a great guy. He was so nice that day. He was so nice to us. Played cards with him in the in the locker room. It was such a fun. That was a moment that I'll never ever forget for sure. As a Cowboys fan, uh, Aikman or Stallback? Stallback. Stallback. Man, there's old a, school. Yeah, I just a little more old school. Yeah, he was a. He was a legend too, and he almost like it's funny now. Like kids, kids today, you tell them Roger Stallback, and you're like, eh, "Who's yeah. that?" And that was the, the those years; those guys really were cowboys. Yeah, they were really Texas kind of cowboy guys. Yeah, you know, Walt Garrison dipping and chewing and <laughs> riding horses. They were the real deal. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Oh, how the things have changed. Just listening to Jordan in the Last Dance. He talked. I can't remember what episode it was, but he talked about when he started with the Bulls. He'd come into the locker room, and there'd be people drinking beer and smoking cigarettes <laughs> before the game. And, like, how things have changed, like, both on, like on the tour and in all sports. I mean, there's a picture in the Super Bowl, first Super Bowl. Len Dawson of the Chiefs is over. He's got a beer on the floor and a cigarette in his hand. It's halftime. <laughs> I got a picture in my, in my house of Hogan and Arnold Palmer. It's called Smoking at the Masters. And they both had a cig going. <laughs> So true. Well, um, your favorite golf course you've ever played? Have to be Augusta. Yeah. You know, it's it's so interesting in in, uh, in playing it. It's to me, it's the only golf course that I'd never played that I knew how to play every hole. Oh wow! You know what I mean? Yeah, because no you, doubt. For the longest time, when we were kids, you know, in a in a in a tour event, we'll end up on TV. They only show the last seven or eight holes. They never showed the front nine. And even whether it was Pebble Beach or whatever historic course, you never saw the first eight or ten, twelve holes. Yeah. And Augusta, because they showed every hole and in depth, it was like, oh, I know how to play this hole. Don't hit it there. Don't hit it over there. And you know. And I, my favorite thing that happened at Augusta was I didn't three putt. Wow. First time around it, which was really neat. That's a that's a also a big accomplishment yeah. because I wouldn't have. As I played it, and I don't know how they certainly weren't master speed when I sure. played it, but my goodness, there for most people that don't who haven't been there, not only are the greens much smaller than they appear to be on TV, they're much more undulated while being smaller yeah. than you can even fathom. Yeah, it was fun. Caddy say, "I'm here." I go, you're crazy. He goes, "No, I'm not." <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen to him. I remember Brandt had a practice round in 2004 where he had his back to the hole where there was so much break. Oh, I'm sure. He yeah. had to look over his left shoulder to see where... <laughs> There's the hole back there. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a great... It's a, it, to me, the, the, what's, it's the greatest golf course to determine who's the greatest player because it's 18 flat lies or 18 tee shots and then an absolute menagerie of side slopes, downhills, uphills, mm-hmm. above your feet, below your feet. And there's no rough. And there's no rough. You and know? the ball rolls if you miss a green. Oh, goodness. That's what the, it's going to be interesting. If there's, no st- if there's no spectators at the Masters, how far are those offline shots that used to only hit a person and stop right by the green? Mm. I think it's going to be very interesting <laughs> to see what happens to if there are no spectators at the Masters, how much that impacts bad shots and, like, the scores. Yeah. It's like what uh, I heard somebody say. Maybe it was Brooke Kepka saying, we're going to lose a lot of golf balls Yeah. if there's no gallery. Yeah. Know? But uh, I remember I was playing a pro-am one time, and I don't remember what pro I was playing with. And 
had this shot in. I said, what do you like, four or five? He goes, hit the four. I said, eh, maybe a little much. I said, he said, you got a gallery. Use them. They'll <laughs> 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 stop it. <laughs> oh, that is so good. <sighs> if you had one chance to play one last round of golf, where would you play it, and who would be the other three guys joining you? Oh, man, dead or alive. Dead or alive, any. Oh, man. Oh, hell, I don't know. You know, I, if I get uh, you get this question a lot, you, you, you know, and I've, I think maybe, you know, you'd think you'd pick Augusta, you'd think you'd pick Pebble Beach, you'd think you'd pick St. Andrews, but I might go back and play the very first golf course I ever played. And I don't even think it's there anymore. Yeah. You know, it was a a little uh, nine-hole golf course in, in uh, nowhere, Oklahoma, that my dad took me to, and the greens were made out of cotton seed holes. Mm-hmm. So uh, they had they had a big kind of roller that they would roll out, and the consistency of cotton seed holes a lot like mulch, you know. Mm-hmm. And they'd hard hard pack a a little strip across the center of the green, and there was a string. You'd you'd take the string and go put it on the trough and put down the trough. So <laughs> that might be where I'd go play. That's <laughs> uh, so fun with the old man and a couple of buddies. Yeah, fantastic. Last question. Um, a good a, a, a guy that I follow who I think is a great thinker, his name is Jason Silva, and he talks about in one of his videos that he put out that he in life we all experience three deaths, the day you find out you're going to die, the day that you die, and then the final death is when nobody mentions your name, the last, the last time somebody mentions your name. Mm. When, you, when you think about all that you have done and all that you've provided given back to so many things you're, you're obviously going to be fortunate because it's going to be well you'll live for a long time but what is it important for for you to have people remember about Vince Gill kindness that's simple yeah just easy going and kind you know that means the most um you know I, I got to play golf. no I didn't play golf I went to that same thing I told you about with uh earlier with uh Tom Osborne, Warren Buffett was there too. Oh, wow. And we both got interviewed and they asked him this question. The lady said, okay, if you could know when you were going to die or where you were going to die, what would you choose? He said, hmm, let me think about that. He said, I guess I'd want to know where I was going to die. She said, why'd you choose that? He said, I would never go there. <laughs> <laughs> so true. But yeah. No, the, you know, the most important thing is that that dash in between the years, what you do with the dash. Yeah. You know, that's all that really matters, and it's all you can control. Mm-hmm. Well, I can tell you that, one, it's been an honor to have known you for such a long time, but everywhere I go, no matter who I'm around, they got a Vince Gill story and how much you mean to him. I mean, from from Dan Crockett to Danny Briggs to Harry Taylor, Sneds, all the all the members out here uh, at the Golf Club of Tennessee where we're, we're currently doing this podcast. And it's amazing how every everybody that I talk to, they have something that you've done for them that have impacted yes. their lives in a in a big in a big big way. And that's what I'll remember most about you. The first time I saw you play live was during Bob Walcott and Friends. And I think that was in 1999 or 2000 at the very beginning when they opened oh, up Greystone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you played at that, that science center over there in, in Dixon. Played everywhere twice. <laughs> <laughs> and to know, to know what you meant to that event and then the Vinny 
and what you've meant for the Tennessee PGA, the Golf Foundation, all the junior golfers here, and in music in general, and how much I love it. I thank you for your time and all you've done for us, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. My pleasure. Be kind, be fair. Life's life's easy. (laughs) That's right. Thank you very much, buddy. Cure is focused on providing natural alternatives to aid with current or previous medical conditions. Cure does this by providing therapeutic properties of natural cannabinoid formulations for multiple uses, whether internally or externally. Ask your physical therapist or your primary care physician if cannabinoids are right for you, or check out their website, www.curemich.com. Cure. Cannabis used for research and education.